what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. With me across the table is Chris. Hello, podcasting land. Yes, we are here with the latest episode of Foot Candle Films, where we talk about movies, as you would expect from the title. Foot Candle Films is the production, I guess, of our Foot Candle Film Society and here on the Mesh.TV network. And we get together and talk about some latest films through some reviews that we have. Then we'll move into some movie news. And then we always end the show with a recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out. Each of us providing a recommendation to share. So today, Chris, our show, we've got a couple really interesting films to talk about. Uh, First up is going to be the latest from Spike Lee. It is Black Klansman. Followed by the latest by Paul Schrader, which is First Reformed. And then we'll be moving on to some movie news. I got three news items to kind of spring on you and get any reactions you may have to share with us. Excellent. And then we'll cap off the end of the episode with each of us giving our recommendation for the show. So, Chris, we've got a lot to cover. I say let's go ahead and move right in. Our first review is of the latest from Spike Lee starring John David Washington based on a true story. This is Black Klansman. God bless white America. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. <laughs> okay. Become his friend. Let's get invited back. So what kind of stuff you guys do? Cross burdens, marches. This is fixing to be a big year for us. You ask too many questions. Are you undercover or something? Chris, I think you and I have probably not given Mr. Lee, Mr. Spike Lee, a whole lot of love in our, our show. Partly because, really, he hasn't had that many films that I think have gotten a lot of big attention in the last several years. Right. Um, I do believe, I know our film society showed a film of his, Miracle of St. Annas. Yes. Uh, that was several years ago. I mm-hmm. think that might have even been before. Pre-podcast. Pre-podcast. I think so. so. you and I, I don't think, have really talked about a Spike Lee film with any real depth during the whole tenure of our show. Right. We did miss kind of the heyday of Spike Lee's really you know big films. Back with uh, with Denzel Washington days and some of the other ones that do the right thing, obviously, in the 80s. Right. So this has really been our first chance to talk about Spike Lee and our experience with him. And, of course, his latest film, Black Klansman. Black Klansman, based on a true story, is about Ron Stallworth, who is an African-American police officer in Colorado Springs, who successfully infiltrates the local Ku Klux Klan with the help of a white surrogate who is a partner of his on the police force. So Chris, this film has been billed as both a very provocative statement of the times we live in, as well as also a comedy with also some elements of thriller uh, elements too. Given all that, a lot of different kind of categories that this film I think is falling in. 
And given the fact that we haven't seen a Spike Lee film in quite a while that's really generated a lot of buzz, uh, let me just turn it over to you. How does this play with what you know of Spike Lee and maybe any experience you've had with him in any of the past films that you've liked or maybe didn't care for as much? You know, How does this one fall and does it fit with those different genre types or do you feel like uh, it's really focusing one over another? Well, you know, as you've mentioned, I'm more familiar with his earlier stuff like Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X, things like mm-hmm. that. And then – you know, kind of dropped off the map. You know, I did see Chirac, um, which was like two or three years ago. Yes. And not all of that movie worked, Mm -hmm. but it definitely had the signature hallmarks of, you know, the provocative style trying to talk about race relations. I mean, that was definitely there and for forefront in that film Mm -hmm. for me, black Klansman kind of, you know, there again, I'd have to look at his catalog and the, of the movies I've seen. I'd have to like remind myself of which one I've seen, but it is, for me, the best film that he's ever made. Wow. Um, and on top of that, the things that are in it, like you said, some comedy. Um, She's Got to Have It. There was a film that I caught of his a couple, mm-hmm. maybe within this year, because I knew he was coming out with a new, it was on Netflix. I was like, you know, I've never seen that Spike Lee, mm-hmm. Spike Lee movie. Let me watch it. And it had some funny stuff in it, but just overall didn't work for me. Yeah. But like, so in this movie, the comedy in it, it really worked for me. Mm-hmm. The drama of the whole situation, which you have, you know, other dramas that he's done, like do the right thing that talked about race or Malcolm X that talked about race just in this movie. It's like, it's a mixture of everything. It's like a, you know, like a trail mix of Spike Lee and it's somehow all the elements for me worked. You mentioned something, the, the, the thriller aspect or the drama, mm-hmm. dramatic thriller aspect, something like you have inside man. Which is a Spike Lee right. movie, which yeah. I liked. That's probably the last that theatrical one I saw. Well, Miracle St. Anne's, right. I think, was after that. But before that was Inside Man. Sure. Right. And that's Denzel Washington, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, the thrilling stuff in this one had me just, I was nervous. Because I, I knew it was supposedly, you know, it's based on a true story. I'm sure they heightened some elements for the movie. But there's some scenes where... Adam Driver, who plays the one who's the white guy that goes to the Klan stuff, because obviously the real Ron Stallworth can't do that, but he goes there as kind of undercover guy pretending to be him. And Adam Driver is in these situations, and it is so tense oh, because yeah. the character he's playing, you know, the, the guy was uh, Philip, or what was his name? Can't remember the character's name. What are you talking about? Adam Driver's yeah. uh, character's name? Uh, he is um, Flip Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah, Flip Zimmerman. And so he, he, you come to find out, has been kind of, you know, struggling with his Jewish heritage. And of course, the Klan doesn't necessarily play nice with Jewish people. So mm-hmm. there's situations where he's under a lot of strain because he's trying to, A, pretend that he's this racist, but then they start accusing him not of being black because he's obviously white, but of being Jewish. And so mm-hmm. the stuff that he has to say and. <laughs> Just the way that was done, I was I was really impressed. I've always thought that Spike Lee was a talented filmmaker, but I've mm. never really, I've never really really appreciated one of his films. I've liked them; I could tell they were good. But as far as me saying like, "Oh, this is one of my favorite ones of his," oh, I really like it, and being like crazy about the film, this is one of those examples where I feel like everything he was trying to do for me worked and i think it's i remember when we were interviewed or re- interviewed yeah that would have been nice um quentin tarantino's inglorious bastards mm-hmm. and at the end of that movie they carve a nazi symbol and he's like i've just made my masterpiece and i'm like 
yep, that's the best movie you're ever going to make. You know, you may, you'll make other films, but I doubt they'll ever achieve that level. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee, like, if he decided after this to kind of be like, drop the mic, I'm done, this would be a heck of a way to prove all people who are like, oh, you're no good anymore, like his ebbs and flows in his career to come back and really deliver something that, you know, it is controversial in some respects and, you know, does definitely start a conversation. So that's kind of my overall take. Alan, how do you, how do um, you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much there with you as well. So I, uh, I, I, I need to go back and watch some Spike Lee films because okay. it really has been a while. Sure. Do the right thing. I don't think I've seen since probably Long the early nineties. Gotcha. Um, he got game was always one I really liked with Denzel Washington. I don't years know ago. if I've actually seen um, that one. Yeah. I know that, but, but again, all of these are probably 15 years sure. plus removed from me. Sure. Um, I really, really like this film as well. Really appreciated it. I, I kind of, I agree. I like what you said, trail mix of Spike Lee, because I do feel like, all those genres I mentioned on the introduction, it, it hit all of those. I mean, I really oh, yeah. could honestly say I laughed out loud in several moments of this film. Yeah. It was extremely tense in some parts. Yes. Uh, very provocative in some parts. I want to get to some call out moments in a little bit that I think really hit those notes. Sure. So yeah, you look at the whole mixture. It's like, man, this is a pretty complete film that really served a lot of purposes and it did really bring out those best elements that we've seen in past Spike Lee movies and kind of brought them all together to a head. Um, I think it was I think it was really an accomplishment to make a film that was both entertaining and provocative. Sure. Um, you know, you could strip away all of the social messaging and the way it's tied into today's culture, and it would still be an entertaining film. But you add that layer to it, and it just really gives you a great balance of it. So, um, yeah, no, I... I Generally, really like the film. I, I can't go out on a limb and say if it's the best Spike Lee film of mine because, again, I'm just so far removed from so sure. many of them. But as far as ones I can recall in more recent history, yes, absolutely. This one definitely stands out and is kind of a, a nice. Yeah, I'd hate to ever wish a director not make any more movies, but sure. if he did stop, I think this is a good good point to go out on. To so, yeah. What's. what's kind of incredible to me and don't get me wrong I think he's made other great films I think Malcolm X is really good I think Do the Right Thing is really good mm-hmm. I think Inside Man's really good but something about being able to take them and take aspects of all of them and kind of make the trail mix that's what's so impressive to me because I think you and I I know I have many times on this show belabored like well they should have just picked either make an action movie or make a comedy mm. or do this or don't try to do so many things and that's what's so incredible to me about this movie is he did all those things mm-hmm. and they all worked for me. And so that's why I think it's just such an achievement because it hit it hit so many notes and was able to pull it off. It pulled it off. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that – and it immediately caught me off guard but made me think, okay, I'm definitely watching a Spike Lee movie, A. And B, <laughs> this is going to be – this is going to be interesting – the opening oh. with Alec Baldwin yeah, addressing the opening. camera <laughs> and it's like doing propaganda films oh and yeah. and then it starts to you know he starts to have problems delivering the speech and it's like they're it's like you're in the the shooting room where they're shooting this and he has to start and stop the and outtakes the day, yeah. and then the it blurs blue and red and all these colors and stuff and you're like I'm not sure what's going on and I was kind of worried that it was going to be, this movie was going to be so abstract. I wasn't really going to know, like I was going to come in like, what did I just see? But no, that was just the beginning. 
And I was just like, huh. And then it cuts, I think it cuts from that to some Gone with the Wind footage. The Gone with the Wind footage is actually first. Oh, is it first? Yeah, it's okay. the very first shot you see okay. is a, it's the long panning tracking okay. shot of um, Scarlet walking through the, the field where all the okay. so the soldiers are. So that's around. first. That's and the very first you thing you the, see, okay. which that followed by the, the Alec Baldwin <laughs> playing the, uh, doing the racist propaganda. Yeah. That those back to back, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really sure where this where, film's where gonna is go, going to go, but I'm kind yeah. of kind of looking forward to the ride. And then it did settle into a more traditional narrative at that point, but it still had its moments. Oh, absolutely. Um, can we, we want to hit some specific positives? Is sure. that okay sure. to kind of talk through some things? Yeah, I do have a couple of issues, a couple okay. of things I want to point out with it. But um, I gotta say, right off the bat, I've I've never seen John David Washington in anything. I have not either, but. I, I want to believe the comic timing and just his delivery is him as a natural actor and not just the director and the screenplay kind of working with it. I want to see him in something else now, but he was he was really fascinating to watch <laughs> and just his reactions, his responses. Spike Lee almost framed him sometimes center of the frame looking at the camera to get his responses to things. And it almost looked a little bit like a Wes Anderson film at times, or it was yeah, just I could kind see of that. these really deadpan responses and just, I don't know. He had such a delivery style. It was really interesting as an actor. Um, it is Denzel Washington's son, which of course I, the first few minutes I see him on screen, I'm kind of trying to look for Denzel Washington in the face. Huh. And, and it was a little interesting see, to realize that, but that's um, interesting too, because that I did not know that watching it. Okay. Yeah. And so I watched it, came out, I was like, oh, that's amazing. But then I've heard clips from the movie since then, and I can't not hear yeah, I Denzel Washington. It so it's kind of a double-edged sword yeah. of it. But but he yeah. was so he was good. He was really fun to watch. He was. He had a, <laughs> he had a response to a, a moment that I honestly, I think I was drinking soda at the moment and really kind of spit it out a little bit. <laughs> wow. It was, it was a, early in the film, it's a moment where he's being interviewed by the people at the police force he's trying to become he would become the first african-american just police officer i think if i remember correctly for this particular branch here right in colorado, in colorado right yeah. and uh he's being asked you know what would he do if someone came up to him and called him a certain word and you know and all that and his reaction was just you know is that going to happen you know, type <laughs> of thing. it's just when he delivered just his deadpan approach to the delivery and I guess obviously the the writing as well it was just really well done. Sure. So he um, he was fun to watch. I really liked him a lot, and uh, anxious to see if this is a a perfect blend of just the writing and directing in his performance, or if he truly does have some really great acting skills to show us in other films. So we'll see with that. Sure. And I thought he was really great. Um, there were some some moments I thought were really interesting that worked for me. There was a speech. Early in the film, um, Corey Hawkins, who I've seen on both The Walking Dead TV show, and he's also in that. He, he was in the, the reboot of the 24 um, Jack Bauer, uh, oh, Keith okay. or Sutherland show. They did a reboot that only lasted like six or seven episodes. So he was the new Jack Bauer lead character. Interesting. In but he played, is it Kwame Ture? Yeah. Who's a... Uh, an activist that they were actually going to see and going to hear early in the film, kind of where our lead character, Ron Stallworth kind of got connected with this whole end to cover work that he was going to go under, but they really spent probably a good 10 minutes of the film letting uh, Corey Hawkins get delivered the speech. Sure. Cutting away to some really interesting, um, 
uh, profile shots and headshots of some of the people in the crowd kind of lit and kind of presented in a really creative way. You know, normally you hear something like that kind of letting this long speech go and doing these cutaways and it seems it could be it could be a little pretentious in some other films. I thought it really worked here because it really just built up a common uh, way of thinking that we're going into this film and where all the characters are coming from that we're that we're siding with. So um, I thought that was really good. Thought that worked out really well. And the last thing I'll mention, um, there's a there's also a musical dance scene uh, early in the film at a nightclub. Okay, that also goes on a little longer than you would expect it to go on. But again, I think it worked. And just the way it was shot, it was very, just it was very energetic. It had everybody you could hear everybody in the club singing along to the song, naturally along with the song being performed. And there's dancing. It's just it's just it was really well done. I, I really liked it. It was a too late to turn back now was the song that they were all dancing and singing to i thought was really well done so just a few moments and then you already mentioned the alec baldwin intro which i thought was bizarre but really interesting Um, and then the ending the whole ending i thought was probably the whole last 20 minutes of this film was just pretty well done Mm -hmm. uh going from both a thriller element and a lot of tense uh uh, Then you've got kind of a coda that was really interesting the way it was shot and presented. Our two main characters, kind of something they're faced with at the end. And then it leading to some actual footage from the Charlottesville um, Klan rally that was done just in the last year. So mixing all that together and the way the film ended and kind of it ended, but then it had this nice coda ending, which obviously left a a lot to process and think about while the credits were rolling. So... um, some call-out moments for me. Is there anything, some strengths uh, outside of those you had? So, yeah, I would second all the ones you mentioned. Um, there's another one that there's a cutting back and forth between the clan gets together and basically they're having a, I guess David Duke comes in town and they're having an initiation mm. ceremony, basically. Right. And they show, they have a screening of Birth of a Nation. Oh, yeah. And they cut back yeah. and forth between Birth of a Nation and there's at... Um, a different part of town, there's like a student meeting of African-American students and they're having like, and they have a speaker and he is talking about the time period during which birth of a nation came out and how there was a slave that was killed and just these horrific events. And they're balancing that by then showing like the Klan rally and these people like basically celebrating and eating popcorn and having a good time watching birth of a nation. Yeah. And so that was a really, you know, I thought that was a really good scene, those scenes mm. there. Um, and like you were saying, just in general, the way he was able to have really funny scenes and something with John David Washington on the phone oh. with Topher Grace, who was playing uh, David Duke, <laughs> those scenes right there and his delivery sometimes kind of right at the camera, like you're talking about, because he's like talking back and forth and they sometimes split screen. Sometimes they just cut back and forth between the two of them. But those were just, those were funny because yeah. you kind of, you know, David Duke is saying things and he's just, obviously he's being an idiot because he doesn't really know that he's talking to an undercover cop and that's just really well done. But then balancing it with some of the tense moments that we've talked mm. about, just, you know, well done. Yeah. Um, I, I think speaking of Topher Grace, I thought he and Adam Driver were also really, yeah, they were really good, good in the I film. They were good. Yeah. They, um, they, you know, Adam Drivers was kind of playing, Adam Driver's typical role, but he it was really good at it. Sure. And then you had, um, you know, Topher Grace playing uh, David Duke, which, you know, obviously is a is a tricky role to play. Sure. You know, um, and I think 
he pulled off really well and he seemed to be having a good time playing the role, kind of just chewing it up a little bit and, and enjoying the fact that he's playing someone who, you know, obviously a, a somewhat reviled person and, right. you know, with a lot of background that, that people would be uncomfortable playing that part. I, I admire him for doing it and kind of seemed like he, he was really kind of having fun playing that part you sure. know, as much as you can. Um, I'll say I, a couple items I had really uh, Laura Harrier played Patrice, mm-hmm. the female lead. Sure. I, I didn't think she was very strong. I thought really? that was one part of the film that just didn't work for me. I didn't think that she really rose to the level that we were getting from the other performers. So that's one thing that kind of pulled me out a little bit. Huh. Interesting. And I will say one thing with Spike Lee as a director, Spike Lee is such an interesting director. He really, to me, balances that line between a big budget director and a shoestring budget uh, independent director. He's kind of balancing it. He never goes, I mean, he started off obviously very independent and lower budget, but nowadays he never goes fully one way or another. It's, it's, he's kind of balancing that line. The film had some moments where I felt like some of the, some of the shots were a little sloppy. Some of the editing, maybe just a little bit sloppier than I would have thought. Interesting. It was almost, it gave it a more, I think it was trying to give it more of an independent feel, but yet you balance it with some of the more glossy cinematography and editing. It just, some parts were a little haphazard, I guess, really? as I would say. Huh. Now, I again, didn't, I didn't it, sense it didn't, that. It didn't pull me out of the film. It didn't make me not like the film, but it is something that I felt like it could have been a little tighter in some places. Hmm. Uh, could be some pacing, could be the way it was edited with that, but. Uh, it didn't detract from what the film was doing. It's just something I noticed as I was watching it. Um, but otherwise, that was my only real issues. I just thought, again, Laura Harrier. I, I the only thing I've seen her in is I know she was in the latest Spider-Man movie, hmm. playing like the love interest. And I thought she was a little weak there as well. So it just may be something with you're not her biggest fan, not yet. <laughs> but again, I mean, I think she's still fairly early in her career, but. Uh, I just, you know, I think everybody else was really pulling an A game, and I thought hers was a little less than. So, um, yeah. Okay. But otherwise, I thought the film was really good. That's my only issues I had to bring out about it. Any? Did you have any issues? No, I mean, obviously, from that first kind of diatribe monologue, I did. I, I didn't really have any issues. Um, I was really, I was impressed. If anything, you know, I expected it to be good because there was buzz around this film, mm-hmm. but I didn't come out. I thought I would come out just thinking it was okay, but yeah. to be as high on it as I am, I'm pretty, pretty surprised. And we make these predictions all the time, but we are getting closer to Oscar season, um, which we talked about on the last show. Um, I would be surprised if this doesn't something from this film doesn't get nominated. Well, I would be, I would just be really I'll, surprised. Uh, I'll go ahead and say, given the changes that the Oscars making. To where they're, I got a feeling popular films are going to be a little more pulled out of the best picture film mm. race. I do think it presents this a film like this from having a much better chance of getting a lot more Oscar love this year. Uh, that'll be the one thing I think could be a positive is I think films that might have gotten squeezed out if they were trying to mix popular big films with uh, more artistic films together. This one might have gotten squeezed out, but I think the fact that they are separating or could be possibly separating those out a little bit, depending on how the voting goes. Uh, this one, I think, should, I will say, should absolutely be considered. Um, and I think it's got a pretty good shot of actually showing up there. I mean, it seems like, I'm not sure how it's doing in the box office, but it you know it seems to be sticking around a little bit. It's not like it came and went in a week. 
critics seem to like it. And, you know, the for Best Picture nominees, a lot of times, if you have something that, you know, it's like a message movie or something like that, you know, whereas obviously this is talking about race and, mm-hmm. you know, the problems within our country. So that kind of has a lot of the elements that can end up. It absolutely does. You know, and it's Spike Lee, too, which I think, you know, the Academy has got positive sentiments, too, and he hasn't really been recognized, I don't think. Malcolm, Malcolm X, X was probably the one that got the most Oscar uh, acclaim right. back in the late 80s or, or early 90s. I believe that one came out. Right. So, yeah. Um, interesting. Well, I, I'm I'm glad you liked it. I, yeah. I came out <laughs> more impressed and pleased than I expected to go into it. Uh, sounds like you did the same as well. So sounds like when we get to our end of the year films and best of that, this is one that's got a shot at making some of our list, too, at this point. I, I feel like anyway, it's, yeah. it's definitely up there. So. We'll see. All right. So that is Black Klansman. It is uh, still playing in theaters as we record this. So hopefully you'll have a chance to check it out and let us know what you think. You can feel free to contact us with your thoughts on the film. We'll give you some instructions on doing that at the end of the episode. So now let's move on to our second review, which is, did I call off the right director's name during my introduction? Paul Schrader. I, think I did so. say Paul Schrader, right? I, I didn't think say so. Paul Schneider. <laughs> I think I might have said Paul Schneider, but oh, I meant yeah? to say Paul Schrader. Either way. If you're listening and I, I said something right at the beginning, write us a note and let me know. Wait, I'm Paul curious. Schneider, that's not the B-52s guy, is it? Uh, that's Fred Schneider. Fred Schneider. Yeah, See, yeah, we're just close. Close. Yeah, all over close. the names today. Right. Um, but the Fred latest Schneider. from Paul Schrader, Schrader. writer, director, uh, best known for some of his uh, classic films, including uh, Taxi Driver as a writer. Uh, now it's writer, director, and he star- got his uh, lead actor, Ethan Hawke, in the latest film, First Reformed. I've decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. My hands shake as I write these lines. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Can God forgive us for what we've done to this world? Who can know the mind of God? With First Reformed, Paul Schrader is both writer and director. We talked about, you mentioned in some of the films that he's known for, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, as a writer. Um, He has directed some films, none of which I think I've actually seen. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with his writing work, but not with his directing work. Basically, I think he achieved, you know, he was with... um, Martin Scorsese when making those films. And then I think as a director, he just really hasn't seen the success. But with this film, he's had a lot of critics talking about it for his directing work. And, you know, he wrote it as well. Alan, after watching First Reformed, are you as familiar with Mr. Schrader's back catalog? And would you want to check it out after watching this film? And what'd you think of First Reformed? So, all right. So let's talk about Paul Schrader just for a moment. Sure. Um, I think I've seen two of his films he's directed. Okay. Like directed. Okay. Which I think is interesting. He has directed 23 films. That's a lot. Yeah. But uh, Cat People, I know I've seen. Oh, wow. I just don't really, I can't really attest to like having watched the entire film or (laughs) or, or all that. Light of Day was a film that I actually kind of liked back in the late 80s. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett. Yeah. I like that film. I don't know how it would hold up now, but I really did like it back in the 80s. (laughs) Light of Day. I definitely like the soundtrack. I still kind of listen to that. Okay. But the film that (laughs) I did see of his and actually brought up on the show here uh, was The Canyons. Oh, yeah. That's the one with Lindsay Lohan that came out that was 
pretty bad. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was not a good movie at all. That was in 2013, and I know I talked about it on the show. Okay. So, Color Me is someone who, you know, uh, I, I admire his writing. I admire some of his classic films, especially the ones with Scorsese. Sure. But hearing Ethan Hawke in a film about a priest going through kind of a religious crisis and written and directed by, by Paul Schrader, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm terribly interested. <laughs> okay. um, and then, of course, all the feedback started coming in from people saying it was a really good film, so I'm more interested in seeing it. I will say this. Um, I intentionally mention it as Paul Schrader being the writer of Taxi Driver because I do feel this is Taxi Driver for another generation. Gotcha. I feel like it's thematically very, very similar. I feel like it's... Instead of being a taxi driver, he's a priest. Yeah. yeah. Structurally very similar. Sure. And where Taxi Driver, your main character, was really concerned and consumed with maybe some of uh, what was going on in society and what he sees as corruption or other things. Here we have a priest who becomes very concerned about what's going on in the world around him as well, mm-hmm. with a the little bit more of a focus on the environment, sure. which is an interesting take on something for a main character to, be, to really be distraught about. Um. I really like this film, even though I'm still processing it and still wrestling with it a bit. Um, You just saw it last night. I I did just see it last night. And um, it is it is a tough watch at times. But I think it's it's a film that you come out wanting to discuss more. And that's certainly where I am with this. Ethan Hawke, obviously, it's his film. I mean, he's in almost, I think, every scene, just about every shot. Uh, I don't think there's a scene except towards the end of the film where he's, he's not, not present. In the frame. Yeah. Um, and even in those scenes at the end, it's all about people trying to find him and where he is. Sure. So I thought he did a great job. I'm not the biggest Ethan Hawke fan. I've had some misgivings with him at times before. Hmm. Although in recent years, especially on this show, we've talked about some of his more recent films and we've both come away I've come away more positive than I have in, in previous okay. films. I, I think after Dead Poet Society, he went through probably a 10, 15 year period of time where it was a lot of the films he did. I, I just didn't care for his, his characters. Now he's to a point where he is playing some more mature, closer to his age, I think, uh, uh, type of roles. Mm-hmm. He did that in uh, what was the baseball movie that we both really liked um, from a couple years ago. This- the phen- the phenom the phenom I think yeah yeah which he was really really he, good he in played that. the dad which, probably one of the best things yeah. I've seen him do um, I thought he was fine in Boyhood I, I Boyhood was a little bit of a letdown for me in general but um, and the other Linklater films before Sunrise oh yeah yeah those are those are good those are fine okay. uh, I never thought they were great because of just Ethan Hawke I thought it was other things about the film that made it great this one I I still feel like Ethan Hawke looks too young to be playing a lot of the parts he's playing right now. He's mid forties. You thought that in this? Yes, I did. Really? I just, uh, yeah. Again, I I can't fault the film for that. I mean, Hmm. Ethan Hawke did a great job as an actor. It just, you know, it it, it was sometimes just tough for me to look at him as the age that he technically is. I think he's like 46, 47 years old. He's, he's my age and he's playing someone who is about that same age, but he still just has such a boyish look Wow. It's, it's tough. It was tough for me to look at and say, okay, I got, I got to like go with the idea that this guy had a 
grown son who would have gone to the army and is separated from wife and all that. It, it's just a little tough for me to kind of hmm. parcel that together. I do think he was probably, probably playing a role that was still several years older than what he really is. And the fact that he is such a boyish looking guy anyway, just is a little bit of a disconnect for me. Um, huh? I've, I've, yeah, I have could see that in some other movies where maybe I thought he was playing like the one that we, Oh, Maudie, Maudie. Yeah. yeah Maudie. We actually talked a lot yeah, about Maudie. How we talked playing. about and that. Yeah. Kind of this yeah. guy he still did a good job, but just, you know, supposed to be so much yeah. older. This one though, I, I didn't feel that at all. Okay. And I thought the way, like the weariness that he, his character oh, he carries and down. like on his face, like no doubt about that. He got that. Yeah, it's just yeah. amazing. So. Um, but I really like the film. We can talk about the ending in a very non-spoilery way, but that does... I, I think, honestly, you're going to come out of this film. If the ending works for you, you come out feeling rewarded for the film. Sure. If the ending doesn't work for you, uh, I could see you walking out and saying, yeah, I, the film just doesn't work for me at all. I just wasted all this time. It's and- really hinging on that last 10 to 15 minutes. Sure. And do you agree with that? I mean... Yeah. I would, and it's it's the film that, you know... It is definitely slow paced. Yeah. But for me, it wasn't some some cinematography is beautiful. We can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. But the thing that it was slow paced, but yet there was a tension and yeah. the tension is what kept me interested and engaged in the film. You know, you just like, what is happening? You just have this sense of, okay, something big is going to happen. And the build up to that, even though it was slow it didn't seem drawn out. It no. felt realistic, but you're just like, oh my goodness. And the, you basically feel like you're riding along with him because mm-hmm. he's dreading it just as much as you are. And the well, journal that he divide. keeps. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say the, the journal, journal is a device they use really well. He's at the very beginning of the film. He basically says, I'm going to start journaling every day my thoughts because I need to start processing this more and I need to kind of get an understanding of where I am. Right. But really it's a device for us because it's a lot easier for us to get insight in his head when we're hearing his actual thoughts. And I love the way they did the journaling because it was so natural, even to the point where he would write something and say, I really don't like the fact that I just wrote that, Mm -hmm. but he was committing to himself. I'm not going to go backwards and I'm not going to like erase or edit. I'm just going to write. So it was a really great, device to use in the film to help us carry along with where he was going. Um, yeah. A natural way to have voiceover narration is that he's writing down in his journal. Yeah. We're not hearing him like thinking to himself as he's walking down the street. He's intentionally sitting down. The only time we hear the words that he's thinking is when he's writing down to, to do the journal. And it was, like I said, it was very natural. It was, here's what I just wrote and boy, what I just wrote sounds wrong now. I wish I hadn't written that, but this is the way I was feeling and it's very natural. So yeah. What else? Okay. What's your take on the film? Uh, so I heard you say, you know, things worked for you, but overall. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, very, very troubling. Yeah. Um, it's, it's dark. It's a, you know, it's a dark film, but there is lots to think about. Um, just kind of honest discussion about, you know, depression yeah. and um, kind of, you know, people reaching out for in for faith. And, you know, because he also has a boss who he talks to a lot, who's um, Cedric the Entertainer or his real name as he's credited is uh, Cedric Kyles, yep. I guess. Um, but he plays a reverend that I guess is he's over over Reverend Toller, who Ethan Hawke plays, you know, he has a small church and then Reverend Jeffers, who's Cedric entertainer, he has like a huge, a bigger church and he kind of, you know, 
basically Ethan Hawke's kind of like at a tourist church, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, So their relationship, the conversations they have about, you know, struggling and I'm, you know, he can tell something's going on Mm -hmm. and just their back and forth. I found to be, you know, really interesting and not depictions you usually see on screen. Um, You see people struggling with depression maybe, but someone like a pastor or a priest struggling with it and how do they go about providing comfort or solace to other people who are clearly struggling or have lost loved ones or things like that. Just a lot going on. It's not something you typically see. Well, that's, there are two, two dialogues in the two dialogue scenes in this film that are kind of stand out for me. And one of them, you just kind of hit on it's Toller, the the priest that, um, that Ethan Hawke plays going to meet with, uh, his boss, you know, the, the, the guy who basically is overseeing the bigger, the, the Cedric, the entertainer or Jeffers, Jeffers. his name in the, in the film, they have a dialogue at one point. And yeah, Jeffers is kind of confronting tolers about, you know, what's going on. I can tell something's up. And then when they actually they start mentioned talking, drinking, cause I think yeah, he knows he's had a drinking, drinking problem. But when Toller starts talking about some of the concerns, some of the bigger things that are weighing heavy on his mind, they have an argument. They and do. it's actually a pretty natural sounding argument as two people who really have some very opposing views on, on how to process this. And at one point, Jeffers, Cedric the Entertainer, just kind of turns his seat around. He's like, yeah. okay, I'm just kind of done. I can't talk to you anymore. But it was all very natural and very good and just, it was intense and it was, oh, yeah. but it was really, really well done. Um, dialogue. Dialogue is uh, Paul Schrader's got dialogue. He does. Okay, there's no doubt in my mind he knows how to write a dialogue scene. There's a scene early in the film as well, very early. Tyler going to meet with Michael, who is a young man that he kind of is helping counsel a little bit on the behest of his wife, uh, Michael's wife. He's an environmentalist. The environmentalist. Yeah. They're pregnant, so his wife's expecting a baby, but he's very concerned about having a child because of what's going on in the world, especially around climate control and taking care of our environment and resource availability. Uh, and they have a talk. That's also an extremely well done dialogue and discussion that both sides have some really good points, but you can also see taller Ethan Hawke starting to say, yeah, he's like in his own head, you can tell he's starting to not, maybe not buy the things he's saying as much. He's starting to really kind of understand where Michael's coming from and watching him go through a little bit of that realization and the understanding of it and having a little bit of his own self doubt at that point. And are like, yeah, that was a really, really good scene. So very, very well done. Um, Did we, I had mentioned cinematography in the film. Yeah. There are lots of you know stark shots, but the one that I think of, like it's basically the poster from the movie that you could put up on your wall. He's walking around kind of a, I don't know if it's a dump site or it's just like a pier that has all this environmental waste damage to it. But he's kind of walking around that area mm-hmm. in like an early morning dawn time. The sky is purple and there's some boats that have their like mastheads in the background. There's one that they kind of frame it so that it looks like a cross. Yeah. He's walking around like it's just some that's a really well, and then, beautiful And then beautiful it immediately shot. dissolves to morning hmm. and he's still walking. I mean, yeah. he's still there. Pacing so it's like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was a really, really good shot. Right. You know, the, the cinematography in general, I was going to say as well, I, I claim as a positive as well is um the sh- the the frame is so clean in so many shots like there's very little to distract you mm-hmm. you know when you're in his house his the parsonage you know kind of connected to the church right the rooms are very stark there's not a lot in the room there's not a lot of detail to kind of di- divert your eyes away 
the church is really clean and simple and it's just it's an old church it's kind of more of a touristy trap thing than it is a of people really going there for church anymore but it's just white and just clean and not a lot of lines not a lot of things in the way it's not really uh, complex you know a lot of simplicity of the shots which i think helps you really focus in on the key person you're following which sure in most of the time is taller so you're focusing yeah. a lot more on his face and a lot more of his demeanor because there's not a lot of other stuff going on in the scene to really distract your eyes away either so there's a scene in the film um and I actually read after I'm watching are we, this are last we going night. Towards the ending here, we're getting closer no? okay. to the ending. I'm not going to spoil too much, but there's okay. a scene where it takes a, a, a where you you've had this film that's been so realistic based, realism based. Oh, and then you get to a scene I that is a very much a a little more of a fantastical scene, and um, involving Ethan Hilke's character and the the wife and, and soon to be mother of Michael, uh, which is played by Amanda Seyfried. Uh, Mary. Right. And the two of them have an experience. And at that point, the film goes off on a little bit of a, a different tone and a different style. And I actually read afterwards, reading a, a little bit of an interview with Paul Schrader specifically about that scene. Really? Saying that was a little intentional to kind of jerk everybody out of where we were going. Because at that point, everything was so dialogue based and and focused on just discussions and you know uh the the diary and the journaling and all that that was more of a okay i'm just gonna throw everybody off their game a little bit well it worked the scene and it did because <laughs> yeah. when the scene started and you realize what was happening is like yeah that that came out of left field but it was very much intended to be a left field uh, curveball for you anyway right um are we are we to believe are we to believe that that happened and it's not like dream or I, I, I personally took it as dream. I okay. took it as more right. of a, like an enlightenment okay. moment uh, for, for, for the both character. characters or I think for both. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And I think a little for, foreshadowing a little bit the end as well. Okay. So yeah. Hmm. Um, I like that scene and I'm having a hard time saying I like the ending, but I'm still wrestling with the ending, but I think again, if, if, it, if it's causing us to talk, oh um, yeah, I'm always in favor of that. I would much rather come out of a film that you want to talk about than one that you don't really care to say anything about. So we're we gonna we're gonna get into spoiler territory then. I think we should. Okay. I think because there's a lot to kind of process and talk about with that ending, but I will tell you, just if you haven't seen the film and you have any inkling or desire to see it, please don't listen. Really <laughs> go into it. Just with that first part of the review, because I think it's a much more rewarding experience and a lot more thought-provoking sure. experience to go in without hearing us talk about. So skip ahead until side. you hear us start talking about uh, movie news, and then you'll know you've yeah. Made we're it actually going to take a break after this review, so um, to and before we go to movie news. So when you hear the break happening, that's a, probably a good time to right. to tune back in. All right. So spoilers on in three, two. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so basically what we're getting at the end, the scene I was alluding to that happens close to the end, but not exactly at the end, right? is uh, Michael, uh, the young man that was uh, being counseled by Ethan Hawke's uh, father, Toller, uh, committed suicide. Uh, it, that This is causes Ethan Hawke's character to go even a little further down depression and, and some issues he's wrestling with even, even more so. But at one point he goes and... Is it he's visiting Mary at Mary's house? Well, Mary comes to him and yeah, I think she says, "I need to show you something," and she shows him basically a bomb vest, right? 
that yes. she found. And he's, she's like, you know, what should I do? He's like, well, I think he says, just give it to me and I'll get rid of it because you don't need to, you know, you need to get, move on with your life and stuff. So he takes it on. He takes the bomb vest that Michael was planning on using at some point, obviously. Right. But, and so at that point, then a little bit later in the film, uh, father Tyler goes to visit Mary and they have a discussion and, and the idea is Mary tells him that something she and Michael used to do is they would lie on top of each other and try to have as much of their bodies touching at all points as they could and just laying there. Right. And it's just a little bit of a kind of peaceful moment and it's meant to kind of like get them connected even more so. Right. And Father Teller's like, well, should we do that? You know, and Mary's like, yeah, I think I was kind of a, uh, implying that we should. And they do that. And the film goes, and they are actually lying on top of each other. Um, Father Toller's on the ground on his back. Mary's laying on top of him. Every bit of their bodies, you know, fingers and everything touching. And then all of a sudden, they start levitating off the ground. And then as they're levitating off the ground behind Father Toller's head, you start seeing, it's basically like they're just keyed on top of all these scenes of like going over mountains and going over uh, earth, you know, going right. over all the different It's like uh, they're flying. Scenic, flying yeah. over around the earth right very odd scene to be putting in the film when this film has been so grounded in reality up to that point right so that's one scene that itself was interesting but then as we get towards the end of the film um everything's building to a anniversary celebration for the church where father toller is the minister the historical church yeah right. 250 years old and they're celebrating it so the the larger mega church that you know kind of helps manage it is putting on a celebration there. The celebration is going to be attended by um, a gentleman who is the CEO of a company in town that funds much of the church is like the biggest contributor to the church from what we could tell. Paying for the organ restoration. Paying paying for a lot of things. But also is one that Michael was feeling like was probably one of the biggest detriments to the environmental uh, health of the, of the, of the world. Right. Um, so that has now transferred. That information is now transferred to Father Toller, who has now become very obsessed and worried about environmental issues, just like Michael was. And uh, so, his intention, we learn at the end, is Father Toller is going to use the bomb vest and basically set off the bomb during this event. Yeah, um, right. and almost does until he sees Mary has attended the event, even though he implored her not to attend. Uh, when he sees that she's entered the church, he then changes his mind and takes off the bomb vest. But, and this is where I've just, help me clarify, because I read something online. Well, there's, that, there's stuff that like, you know, does he really see her and change his mind? There's that. Um, um, he, we see him taking off the bomb vest and then we see him wrapping himself in barbed wire. Which he had previously taken down from like the back part of the church courtyard, like near the cemetery. Called, called a squirrel. Yeah, because it snagged a squirrel. Yeah, yeah and the squirrel um, was and dead he'd in the taking it down, and he wraps himself in that. He then makes a really interesting cocktail of whiskey and Pepto Bismol. Yep. And uh, so it basically, he's changed his no, mind. No, 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 he does that early in the film. This is just Drano. That this he does. is just Drano. Right, yeah. just yeah, Drano. Yeah, yeah. The, the whiskey and Pepto Bismol was earlier in the film. Right. He's pours himself Drano. Basically, that is he's going to drink the Drano and kill himself instead, instead of, of going and bombing the church because Mary's in the church and he doesn't want to hurt her. Right. Um, but at that moment, before he drinks the the Drano, Mary appears in the house. He sees Mary. He drops the glass with the Drano and it 
shatters on the ground. He walks over to Mary and then they embrace and have this extremely long, passionate kiss with the camera swirling around them. Well, you hear a song being sung. You hear a song being sung in the church. Right. And he still supposedly got the barbed wire tied around his, his body, right. uh, puncturing him and bleeding. He had a sheet on top of it that we can see some of the blood marks through it. And that's it. The film yeah. cuts, cuts to, black, to black, like right in the middle of a song, right in the middle of the kiss. And that's it. So, Chris, was it real? <laughs> Did you take it as real? No, you know, I wasn't sure what to make of it. All I could get away from, because, you know, we were talking about the tension that's building up in this film all I could think was, yay, he didn't blow up the church. Yeah. He didn't kill himself and kill everyone else and make this huge thing. You know, I understand why he feels this way about the environment and everything, but he didn't just become a terrorist, essentially. Yeah. Right. So then the way that was avoided was so kind of distracting. I didn't really know what to make of it yeah. and how to process it. Now that I've had a couple of, you know, couple of days, because I saw this a while ago, and I was talking with you about it before we went on air, I'm thinking that no... He doesn't do he he doesn't do it. Seeing Mary and I, th- I think he basically just kills himself by drinking the drain out. That's what I think too. But it's like he has this fantasy basically. Um, no. Now, did he see Mary to begin with going into the church? I guess so because you see her asking somebody else. I think so because there is a shot of her talking to somebody else in the church that he's not in and he right. would not have seen. So I do think we're supposed to believe because yes, if we just saw him up. seeing her going to the church, maybe he would be imagining that. But there's this shot with him not there. Of, yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So. So I think she was there. I personally don't think she came into his house. Okay. Because I think they actually showed us a scene with Jeffers, um, Cedric the Entertainer, beforehand trying to find Father Taller. Right. Because the and, service has started. He's nowhere yeah, to be found. He's knocking on the door of the parsonage house, and I think he even tries to open the door, and it. It's locked. Right. So how Mary would have gotten in the house is what I wouldn't, I don't understand. Sure. So that's why I think it was, I think he drank the Drano died, but that was his, that was what he, he needed someone to love the whole film. He's been pushing away a fellow uh, person at the church who supposedly he had a relationship. And with that's the person that's singing in yes, the church I'm while trying. this is happening. He's right. pushed her away because he mainly is just saying he doesn't, feel like he deserves to be with anybody or he's right. not at a point to do it. And he even to say some intentionally mean things to her to, to push her, her away. away. Right. But I think in the end, he ultimately is wanting somebody wanting sure. something uh, to be, to be with him and to understand him and to believe him on things. So I don't know. It was a, it was a tough ending, but um, could have been tougher. Um, but more than anything, it just kind of leaves you really wondering what was going on. What you had mentioned, you started to say that uh, something you had read made you kind of guess a little bit about what you were thinking about the ending. Was there something like you started to say it and then I was rambling on about what I was thinking. Was there something specific that you've read oh, online? Oh, gosh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Okay. There, so, well, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Shouldn't have um, kept rambling. No, it's okay. Um, I will say, and I guess this is going back to a review. I mean, I, I – as I already said, I like the film a lot. Sure. Um, I did. I did think the uh, the bad guy, the uh, the CEO of the, it was a little cartoonish. Maybe it was a little, yeah, yeah a, a little, little over the top. I sure. Mean, there was a scene they're having breakfast together, I believe, or something, mm-hmm. talking about plans for the ceremony. It's the first time we really meet him and have a dialogue with him. Right. And I just, I, I had a hard time buying him as a real character. Just for this film, sure. he just was a little, little over the top. Everything else much. was so 
you know, seemingly real and yeah. very reality based, realistic. And then he kind of seemed a little cartoonish. He I can I can see that as a detraction against it. And I wish we'd had I wish I'd had a little bit more to buy into Father Toller's obsession and anxiety about the environment. We basically had him meeting with Michael. Obviously, Michael shot himself. He, you know, we, we heard Father Toller heard Michael talking about all this stuff. And then some of the stuff was left behind of Michael's things. Mm-hmm. He, Father Toller looked up some things on the Internet, saw some things about some different environmental issues and some of the research. And then it, it was almost like immediately Father Toller was now obsessed and upset and worried about that. I thought it was a little quick. The mm-hmm. way I kind of rationalize it is I think... I think Father Toller was already dealing with a lot of depression he was anyway. On the edge. This was the one thing that just kind of he could grab onto as something concrete to be depressed about. Right. But it still seemed a little sudden for me, especially for a film that really was taking its time developing everything else. Hmm. That's my only misgivings in the film, those two things taking away. But I, I don't think, again, neither one really to the detriment of the film. Just I wish it could have been a little stronger in both those areas. So. Do you have any other feedback on the no, film? I'd, I'd, I would say that, no, I'd, I think that one part you were mentioning about the transition to becoming really, you know, concerned with the environment didn't didn't strike me, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt, I guess it was pretty natural. But I, I do agree that one thing about the the entrepreneur, the owner of that company that was doing yeah. all the environmental data. Yeah, it was maybe a little, a little much. much. Yeah. yeah. Especially that, yeah, uh, him confronting him about Michael's suicide and right. kind of blaming the pastor for it. And I'm right. Like, okay, that was that was yeah. kind of a stretch. A little, right. That was a little convenient to make you really be a, a bad guy pretty quickly. So, um, other than that, I really did admire this film. Um, it's still one I'm reading up on more. Okay. Um, but I do. I think it was a daring film to make. I, I think uh, it was a daring role for Ethan Hawke. I think he pulled it off really well. Um, I mean, since I made the hyperbole with Spike Lee in the first film, the first segment, yeah. talking about this one, I'd be surprised because of who Paul Schrader is and his history in Hollywood if either the writing or directing of this movie doesn't get nominated. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ethan Hawke's performance is pretty strong. I think he's. Um, I'm not saying he'll uh, win, but I feel I like think he would, should be one of the worth a nomination. And I think uh, definitely the writing, the original screenplay for this. Is worth directing, maybe. Um, we'll see. Uh, I think sure. it was well shot and well directed, but I mean, I think this is a actor and a script are the two things that really drive this more than anything else to me. All right, first reformed or Black Klansman? Which one do you prefer? Uh, well, Black Klansman, just because I was able to laugh a couple of times. Yeah. Um, Not really there, any humor in first. There reformed. was a little bit of humor every once in a while in first reformed, and I cannot remember. But there are some, like, I mean, very minute, yeah. like, little things. But it's, like, very, very, very slight. So yeah. both are good. Both are good discussion starters. If you're listening to this podcast, obviously, A, you like movies, and B, you must like hearing them talked about. Otherwise, why would you be listening? Um, these are films that are really good discussion starters mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, first Reformed, a lot heavier. Even though Black Klansman is heavy, especially with the ending and the footage they show of um, the Charleston stuff, but mm-hmm. or Charlottesville, not Charleston. But um, yeah, I, I think both are good. I, I would go Black Klansman. Which way would you, if you had to? I, I think I would probably recommend Black Klansman just because I think it's a definitely a more accessible film to a lot of people, and it, it has a lot more going on in the yeah. film. 
First Reform, though, I'm saying I think it's really good. I think it's worth watching. It's just definitely more for a you got to be in a, a different, a certain mindset to really go in and be just understand that the film's going to lead you down a path, and it's kind of up to you to decide where 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 that ends up. So, yeah, agreed. Okay, so that's our two f- film reviews for the episode. And uh, First Reformed is online and available for watching on streaming or iTunes or Amazon or any of those services. Uh, Black Landsman, as we mentioned, is still in movie theaters at the time of this recording. So, uh, but you should have an opportunity to see it. It is playing fairly wide. It's not, you know, the biggest wide release. But Black Klansman is did get a, a, a bigger wide, a bigger release than most. So, uh, is playing a lot more cities than just the big cities in, in the United States. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be talking through some movie news items and capping off the episode with our recommendations for the show. So, stay tuned. Foot Candle Films will be right back. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like... Where they the worked old- at the country club? Yes. yes. You know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and Mm -hmm. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh (laughs) yeah 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 so it's all even Baywatch when they change lifeguards absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard (laughs) I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to welcome back to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv Alan and Chris we just finished our two reviews of Black Klansman and First Reformed, both highly recommended from both of us. So we got a two for two with our reviews there, Chris. Um, speaking of ones that we can highly recommend, let's also highly recommend something else for our viewers. Okay. Which is the Foot Candle Film Festival uh, coming September 28th through the 30th. Yes. You and I are both in high agreement on this is a recommendation we would like to make to our audience. Absolutely. Actually, why don't we just, we could just make that our recommendation for the episode. <laughs> just instead of a film, say, no, we're going to recommend 37 films that there you want to come out and check out. That is coming up September 28th through the 30th here in good old Hickory, North Carolina, on the uh, foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Western North Carolina. It's a beautiful time of year. It's going to be great weather. I can feel it already, even <laughs> here a month in advance. Looking forward to some cooler weather. Yeah. We're going to have three <laughs> great days full of films. Combination of both narrative films, uh, documentary films, and short films of both types as well. Uh, going throughout the weekend, you can learn more about the festival at footcandlefilmfestival.com. And that's where you can go to not only read about all the films we're showing, but also to uh, watch trailers and, of course, buy tickets for the event, too. We have both a weekend pass, which covers everything that we do throughout the weekend, with the exception of our Sunday night closing dinner. Uh, or you can buy individual tickets for any of the films or events as well. 
So we do hope to have you join us and let us let us know if you're traveling in from out of the area to come to the festival. We'd love to make sure we have a chance to say hi and welcome you to the area. In true film festival style, too, we are trying to show lots of different type of films. So yeah. we have documentaries. We have narratives. We also have uh, short films that feature, you know, they are doc- – some of them are documentary shorts as well. Some of them are narratives. So we've got a lot of mixture of different type of films, some foreign, some, you know, lo- local to North Carolina, some just regional to the United States. So a lot there. We think there's something hopefully for everyone. So. Yeah, I think so. It should be fun. It's our fourth year with the film festival. Uh, we had a large number of submissions this year. It was a really tough job getting it down to the 37 that are being shown. But um, we're really excited. It should be a fun time. Hope you guys can come out and join us. Footcandlefilmfestival.com is the website for all the information. All right, Chris, let's move into some movie news. This okay. is uh, where we kind of like to throw out some news items about upcoming projects we're hearing about, maybe ones we're curious about, uh, especially when it's to directors or casting cho- choices. So, and today we really have three. Uh, it's all about either directors or actors kind of being attached to different projects at this point. Okay. So let's talk first about something that just came out yesterday uh, regarding James Bond. Okay. So there have been 24 James Bond films made. <laughs> okay. Obviously, the one coming up is being referred to just Bond 25 is kind of the colloquial name that's being used right now. We reported a few episodes back that Mm -hmm. a Mr. Danny Boyle was now attached to be director. He is taking over for uh, the director that handled the last two, Sam Mendes, who did both Skyfall and Spectre. Skyfall being probably one of the best-reviewed Bond films and the biggest box office hits. So they were really anxious to have him direct more. He did Spectre, but now he's walked away from doing a third one. So the race was on to get a director. They brought on Danny Boyle, which I personally was really excited about. Danny Boyle, I think, is an interesting director. I agree. That could probably bring some really some creativity to the film that I could argue that maybe it, the, the the series has not always been known for is directorial creativity. So I was really excited about Danny Boyle. But lo and behold, t- yesterday the announcement came out that Danny Boyle is no longer attached to the project. Okay. Question on yes, that. Absolutely. Is that tied to some other craziness that I keep hearing about James, the James Bond movie that suppose like I keep seeing, it, I'm like, what's the deal with this? And maybe, you know, Idris Elba, mm-hmm. James Bond, like all these people, like, I don't know whether he was dropping hints that he wanted to be, or people yeah. should consider, but there's like all this like internet brouhaha about whether or not James Bond should be African American. And like, I don't, and like, I think maybe Idris Elba was posting like Instagram photos, maybe joking about. I, I don't know what the whole deal is, right, but so it, did, there did, basically, did Danny support. Boyle walk away because Idris Elba wouldn't no, could no. be James Bond? Uh, it's been pretty settled that Daniel Craig was going to be okay, Bond he, in Bond Twenty Five. Okay, but he's also said it's going to be the last one. This is absolutely the last. He one. has said that. Of course, okay. I think he said that about Spectre too, but he did say <laughs> he's going to do the last one. Okay, there's already been rumors and talk about who's going to be the next James Bond. Okay, after so that's that. the whole Idris yes. Elba discussion. It's not connected to Danny Boyle at okay. all. Um, no, the rumor is, and I will say this is all rumor. This is off of birth, uh, birthmoviesdeath.com website. The rumor is that Danny Boyle was kind of positioning this film to take place with the current global political situation, kind of a modern day Cold War for Bond to be involved in. And also, Danny Boyle was casting someone, uh, Tomas Cott. I'm, I'm not familiar with him as an actor to play a key role in the film. And supposedly Daniel Craig has a lot of control over the film. 
Um, he is one of the co-producers. He's kind of built up his role with the film series. Which is probably maybe what he said. Because I'm in this movie, I'm going to really control right. it. And supposedly, again, all rumored, all sure. allegedly, he was unhappy with some of those choices that Danny Boyle was making on both the tone of the film and the casting choices. Hmm. Um, so Daniel Craig gets to stay. Danny Boyle has to go. <laughs> so <laughs> that's Danny Boyle kind of the way it worked be out. James Bond. That's so, right. right. Okay. Um, huh. So there's been some talk about because Danny Boyle's now out. Uh, this is a film that was slated to be released in November yeah, but, 2019. Right. I was about to say, like, this is a Just problem. over a year. So they, had, they hadn't started shooting. Uh, I don't believe so. But they've done all the casting. That's right. They yeah. were ready to go to shooting. The writing was done. And yeah, okay. Um, so now because of this, they're saying that the Hollywood Reporter came out and said, okay, so they're not going to be able to hit that November 8th mark next year. So they got to bump back release. But then it came back a little bit later in uh, Birth Movies Death again saying, eh, not so quick. The word from the studio is if they can land a new director in the next like 30 days, they can still hit the mark of November 2019. So this is really, our really where I really want to get this news item to. I want to mention to you some of the names of directors that have been on a short list now. Quentin Tarantino. No, but close. Oh, really? Last one I'll mention. I think it's about as close as we're going to get. Hmm. Um, Jean-Marc Vallée, who was Dallas Buyers Club. Okay. He's also lately been doing The Big Little Lies and Sharp Objects on HBO. Okay. So he's been talked about. Uh, He's on the short list right now. Here's one I think you might be excited about. Uh, David McKenzie, Hell or High Water. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of an interesting director choice. Okay. But the third one that just came up just today is a, and it's purely a rumor. And I don't think there's any chance this guy would ever do it. <laughs> Tim Burton. <laughs> Edgar Wright. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, personally, I would be terribly excited for an Edgar Wright Bond wow. movie. Wow. I don't think there's any chance of this happening. Flashback to Edgar Wright trying to work with Marvel on the Ant-Man movie. Ant-Man. And that yeah. didn't go well because... But then he went and made Baby Driver, which you could say... Yeah, I mean, but but I think, I think kind it's the of whole playing esque. within a formula mm. may not be the thing for Edgar Wright. I think he wants to do his own film, and I think Ant-Man, Marvel still needed him to play within a certain formula, and he didn't want to do it. I can't see that Bond's producers are going to let somebody go and just go completely crazy with a, a James Bond film. I'd love to see it. Oh, man. Just like I'd love to see a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not going to happen. I think we're <laughs> going to have a very safe director being picked to do this. But Well, I know that Edgar Wright, one of the projects, he it's either a documentary or it's a film about some like punk band. I can't remember the it's name. It's a documentary, yeah. Okay, so it's just a documentary. I believe so, yes. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he would then have time to jump and do this. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Probably a lot more money tied oh. in with the Bond so film. So the thing is that... I want him to do it because then after that, he could do he whatever, do whatever <laughs> he wants. Yeah, kind of like Ryan Johnson, even though apparently he's still playing in the Star Wars sandbox. But like he made it. Yeah, some people didn't like Last Jedi, but he was, you know, it made a lot of money. A lot of people did like it. He's fine. And now he can, He, I'm assuming, he can kind of do whatever he, he wants. kind of write his own ticket on stuff. Right. Yeah, I think directors get to that point. They can do that. Right. I don't know if Edgar Wright's quite to that point yet. So maybe, you know, taking on a big budget film will give them that flexibility going forward. But it's a big commitment doing a Bond film. Oh, I'm yeah. sure it's a good year, year and a half of your life yeah. when you're just focused on doing this. So I don't know. Be curious to see if they, A, get a director in time. Uh, B, if they do, who is it? So that'll be interesting. Hmm. That's yeah. crazy, too, that that would even be allowed to happen because they were already kind of on a tight turnaround. They'd already gotten a date. 
it's the 25th film, so it's kind of like, uh, it must have been some really big blow-up problems they between really, Danny Boyle. They're, they're guaranteed they do not want to delay this thing a year because they think November, December is like a really good time frame for them. Right. I think that's when Skyfall was released. Uh, I think, I you know, it's just, they feel like there's a good momentum behind the film coming out right before well, the holidays. Well, and you stagger it, too. After Mission Impossible's. So you've got yeah. Mission Impossible out of the way because that happened this year. So next year they won't have another one ready already. So you mm-hmm. do a Bond film. So interesting. Yeah. There was some real, there's some real strategy for wanting to have it done next November. So I think they're going to feverishly try to get that done. My concern anytime I hear a production tries to rush up and get a director in quickly is normally the production doesn't go as well and the film doesn't turn out as good. So Right. Yeah. So moving on to our second item and actually our next our second and third item are all about casting. Okay. Interesting casting choices, I guess, is how I would kind of lump these two together. Are these who they're casting for Happy Time Murdered or Happy Land Murders Part 2? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to be reviewing that? No, I don't think so. No, you don't want to no. see that? Well, come on. I like puppets. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, the reviews have not been kind so far, so we'll see how that turns out. I mean, out. if it pops up on Netflix and I'm really desperate for a laugh, maybe I can find a couple in there. But yeah. from what I've heard, yeah, I think I'll probably skip it. And that's a shame. It's yeah. a shame. So, uh, <laughs> but talking about a movie I know you're incredibly excited about. Okay. Top Gun Maverick. Oh, man. <laughs> there we go. That's the reaction I was looking for. Yeah. Um, I bring this up because, A, I'm generally kind of interested. And I'm looking forward to it. Could it be one that, you know, uh, yeah, yes, the original Top Gun is a nostalgic classic for me. I have a lot of fun memories of the film when it came out. Okay. It doesn't hold up as well. Although I will say I still think it's some of the best aerial flight scenes I've seen in a film. Okay. Hmm. That being said, Top Gun 2, I'm curious about we've got a director the same director who uh did oblivion and also did the tron legacy movie a while back uh i'm drawing a blank on his name right now apologize for that but tom cruise obviously has come back and is replaying as maverick obviously maverick 40 years later or whatever but he'll look the same because tom cruise is exactly the same but what i want to bring up i think we've already mentioned the miles teller was being added to the cast. I might have mentioned that in a past episode, but if not, he is. Okay. He is going to be Goose's son. Goose was Maverick's co-pilot uh, who, spoiler alert, if you haven't ever seen the original <laughs> Top Gun, he dies. Which so, is Maverick's fault. Ish. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much his fault. Okay. Um, because Maverick was being a Maverick, and that caused <laughs> Goose to die. Got you. So Miles Toller is going to be playing Goose's son. So obviously there's going to be a dynamic between Maverick and Goose's son, next generation type of thing. Gotcha. So, oh, that's fine, whatever. But then they made some announcements just this week about some people they added to the cast, which I think are very interesting. John Hamm has been added to the cast, which I like John Hamm. I like him a lot. I want John Hamm to have a good film role because he's so well known for TV for Mad Men. Right. He just hasn't quite had that role in the film in movies to like make him a movie star yet. Right. <clears throat> Probably, I enjoyed him in Baby Driver. I thought he played a good bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in an episode of Black Mirror, which is not well. Yeah, that's still but yeah, on the but TV. It's not side, TV you know, so yeah. He was in Marjorie Prime too, wasn't he? He was in Marjorie Prime, which I thought he was good in that. But again, yeah. that film didn't get a no, lot of attention. So release, yeah. it's uh, he just hasn't had that breakout role in film yet. Now this. 
will obviously be some sort of supporting role. He's not one of the main stars. The film is already in production, so them announcing they're adding it doesn't sound like he's going to be like a... I, I can't imagine he'd be a main character in the film. Hmm. But still, adding him in there is nice for me to see. I like that. Then also Ed Harris, who is an intriguing choice to add to the film. Yeah. Um, don't know what kind of role he's going to be playing, but... He wasn't in the original? No. no. Okay. So right away, those two names added to the mix are like, huh, okay. So maybe there's a little bit more to the film than just, you know, a repeat of the original formula and just plugging in a younger talent type of thing. My question for that movie is, can it make me like it? Can it make me like it? Because I don't really have any... I saw the original, not fond of it, really. Uh, I've seen it recently, and I thought it was hilarious. So it was more like watching a comedy because it was so like over well, the see, top. See, it's a perfect opportunity to win you over. You're going in with the lowest oh, possible absolutely. set of expectations. On so this, will it? So. Will it? You know, is it? Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm curious. I'm okay. curious that they're bothering to make a second one after all this time, and then is the story just going to be so you know? nostalgic based and cheesy based it'll be like even over, more over the top than the original I, I or is it actually going to be a good movie like it could I still feel me. like Tom Cruise with the exception of the mummy <laughs> makes good choices in film projects okay. they don't always work okay but it's never because the intention was bad for the film okay any film that he stars in now I'm not talking about if he just did a cameo, cameo. or did a, a small part supporting role I'm talking about like a starring film he makes good choices. The films aren't always ones that everybody loves or are great films, but they're, they're, he hasn't made a horrible film, in my opinion, as a lead actor. And even The Mummy, I did not think was as horrible as everybody made out to be. But <laughs> it was bad, but it was not worst film ever made. So I think he makes good choices. I think okay. he's an intelligent actor. I, I don't think he'd be signing on to this project if he didn't think something was there. Okay. I don't think it's just a pure money grab. That's just my... Gut feel on it so far. And Val Kilmer's coming back as Iceman. Okay. The Iceman <laughs> coming back. Jennifer Connelly, who I think is really good, is going to be in this. Okay. So we'll see. And what is it 2019 or no? It's farther out than that. Ah, I'm not sure. Okay. I didn't write that down. I don't okay. know. <laughs> not soon enough, I say. Bring it on. <laughs> right. Okay. Last news item. This okay. one I'm just so amazed by, and I'm getting more and more excited about this film. Okay. We've already talked about Quentin Tarantino earlier in the show, kind of alluding to him a couple of times. Yes. So he does have a film coming out next July, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This was being labeled as the uh, Charles Manson film for a long time. But in typical Quentin Tarantino fashion, he always drops an idea of what a film's going to be about. And everybody kind of goes off thinking it's going to be about that. And you find out it's not really about just that. What it is, is this film that was being labeled as the Charles Manson film is all about a faded TV actor and his stunt double embarking on an odyssey to make names for themselves in the film industry during the helter-skelter reign of terror back in 1969 L.A. So there is a tie-in. So it's kind of like a backdrop, but it's not. Exactly. Right. And that's kind of what I thought when people said, oh, he's making a film about Charles Manson. I'm like, nah, I don't think he is. I think it's going to be more of that's going to be what's happening in the world around them. Right. But it's going to be a real patchwork of different people and characters. And it's really focusing on the film industry, which I love movies about making films for Quentin Tarantino to make a film about making about the movies film industry yeah, in the that's... 1970s or 1969. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. But here's what kills me about this film. The cast. Okay. Good gosh. And listen to these names that are in this movie right now. Brad Pitt, 
Leonardo DiCaprio. I think they're playing the faded TV the faded actor actors. and the stunt double. Okay. Margot Robbie is playing Sharon Tate. So that's a little bit of the linkage with the Charles Manson storyline. Mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant. Luke Perry. <laughs> Damian Lewis, who's playing Steve McQueen. Dakota Fanning. Al Pacino. Really? Emile Hirsch. Uh, Clifton Collins. Tim Roth. Michael Madsen, both uh, typical Tarantino actors. Scoot McNary. Nicholas Hammond. Do you know who Nicholas Hammond is? No. Nicholas Hammond is going to be the John Travolta in this film. I can already feel it. Um, he was a kid in The Sound of Music. He was one of the oh. Von Trapp kids. And the only thing I can I know for a fact he's done since then is he was the TV version of Spider-Man back in the 70s when CBS did a TV live-action Spider-Man show wow. for a season. Timothy Hammond, I remember it because I was a kid and I was so excited about that show, and it really sucked. But <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, Hammond, Nicholas Hammond was the actor. He's in this movie. And, huh. and then you got somebody, uh, Mike Moe, who's playing Bruce Lee. So we got a lot of interesting parts, a lot of interesting actors. I'm very curious about this film. So the release on that is July. July 2019. Huh. So in about nine or ten months from now. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you take a look at that whole cast list. Yeah. And, oh, I forgot the whole reason I even brought it up. He's added some more people as of just this week announced more people. Lena Dunham just joined the cast. She's going to be in it. Hmm. Maya Hawk. Is that Ethan Hawke's daughter? I don't know. I think Maya Hawk might be uh, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think so. So both of them were just added to the cast as well. Um, And Hmm. knowing Tarantino, there could be some more still coming to play as well. So I, uh, you know, his his films are um, always interesting. Something, you know, they're interesting to go see. You may not like it. Hateful Eight, I just rewatched recently. Um, And I wasn't a huge fan of the film. But on revisit, there were enough things there that kept me interested. Yeah. But it, you know, it just it kind of fell off after Django and Intolerable. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, having in, uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards and yeah. Django and Kill Bill. I mean, really, that whole right. those films are still paramount top level films. Sure. Even having a little bit of a drop off, or well, not a little bit. It was a big drop off for me on Hateful Eight. Yeah. It's one film. I'm willing to let oh, yeah. one film skip. I'm very excited about this film. Uh, again, Tarantino taking on the film industry back in close to the 1970 period. Well, I'm I'm excited that he's is this supposedly now his last. You know, because for a while it was like these are going to be this is my last film, and then it's like, well, okay, I'm making this film. Well, so Hateful Eight was I'm just his glad eighth he, film, right? I'm glad he's continuing to make movies. Yeah, Hateful Eight was his eighth film. See, there was all this talk about he had said supposedly years ago he was only going to make a certain number of films, right? And then people started wondering. It might have been he had said eight films. Okay. But the question was, is Kill Bill considered one or two films? In Tarantino's mind, he wanted it to be one film. Right. So whether he's considering that one film, so really there's like another one he could still make. Uh, Or maybe it was he was going to say ten films. Something like that. There was some like quote somewhere where he said exactly the number of films he wanted to make. Right. I can't remember if this one would be the last one in that sequence or if he still got another one after this. Mm. Yeah, Maya Hawke, who's just added to the cast, is Is. daughter of Ethan Hawke and uh, Uma Thurman. Okay. Yep. There you go. Um, Interesting. So I'm, it's probably my most anticipated film right now coming up in the next year. Okay. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by uh, Mr. Tarantino. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So that's our news items. 
lot of casting, a lot of directorial decisions going on, some interesting projects to keep our eye on. Chris, I know, is very interested in one of these three, <laughs> maybe interested in second, not really interested in the third. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm telling you, Tom, this is an opportunity to win. If you want to reach and entertain as many people as possible, Mr. Cruz, you have somebody across the table for me right now that's going to be a very hard sell. <laughs> Let True. this be a challenge to you to make Top Gun 2, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, as strong that's as the possible. Na- that is the, that name, is the name of it? It's not Top Gun 2. It's Top Gun colon Maverick. Oh, that, yeah, that, that, that's Which probably, would have been better? Which would have been better? Not, you want Top Gun 2? No, that would have been bad. But yeah. just the fact that it's Maverick, like we're focusing on Tom just to let you know yeah. if there's any ever any. Of we you are. Know, Why would anybody else It should have been Top, Top Gun, Gun Goose. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Cooking the goose. <laughs> That, I would have gone to go see that without a question. All right. Well, we, we need to move on to our recommendations uh, to, to wrap up the show here. Uh, this is the point of the show at the end where each of us kind of have a recommendation of a film that we've either caught up with recently or is available now, or in my case, going to be available online within weeks of you hearing this. So I'm kind of giving you a little bit of a preview of a film I think you ought to check out. Um, so, Chris, what have you got to share with us for a recommendation this month? So I would like to recommend a movie called The Endless. It came out in 2017, but I think... The Endless? The Endless, yeah. I think it came out in 2017, but I've just recently seen it pop up like online and stuff in 2018. So I think it was one of those things that was just made and kind of forgotten about, and then distribution finally happened for it. The uh, summary of the plot, two brothers return to the cult they fled from years ago to discover that the group's beliefs may be more sane than they once thought. Uh Imagine Lost meets Groundhog Day. Hmm. Um, that's kind of what's going on. This Weird. film is creepy. Okay. Um, so my, you might want to say this recommendation for closer to Halloween. <laughs> um, but wow. it is really good. What's impressive, too, no big name actors. The directors, um, it's a co-directors. They are in the film. They are the two leads. They play brothers in the film, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Um, Justin Benson's credited as the writer, but both of them directed it. They both star as brothers in the film. Mm -hmm. They've done a couple of other movies that all seem to be in this kind of horror fantasy sci-fi type thing. I wouldn't really say fantasy, probably more just horror sci-fi, but um, I found this film to be really interesting. Mm. Um, And a lot of it hinges too on what you don't see is what's scary or kind of just really weird and unsettling. The score has a lot to do with it. Towards the end, when there's kind of some, it's kind of always building towards this culminating event. Mm-hmm. The effects maybe aren't where they need to be. You know, they're, they're a little mm-hmm. lacking, maybe, but you can understand because you're like, yeah, this is a film that's been really incredible. And if they just had more money, they could have made something that looked. So it's just, more, you understand there's budget restrictions, right? There's about, so. but that being said, not a distraction. It's amazing what they were able to do. With, and it's just, it's really good. I really like this film, and I'd heard it. Or I'd seen like a trailer somehow, and then I'd completely forgotten about it. And I was on a service that actually people can see this movie for free. It's called Hoopla, which is like done through the public library system. And you can check out movies, and this was on there. And that's how I saw it. I think you can rent it from Amazon. I think it's on iTunes as well. But you might be able to see it for free through your public library system. But hmm. it's called The Endless. The Endless. Yes. And I, it I is had def- not heard anything yeah, about it. Definitely not a uh, movie for the kids. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's it's good, and if you, if you liked Lost, this is I mean it has like things that just aren't explained or things that are odd going on. It's 
it's it's fascinating. So wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm actually playing the trailer like silently as you're talking because <laughs> I just I'm trying to get a feel for the film and yeah, this looks really interesting. Yeah. So um, okay. So Hoopla is the place I would need to watch it. Yeah, you can watch it for free. Yeah, you can. I think you can get it on Amazon Prime, and I think okay. you can do iTunes. But it's but available for free. to all those other services. Yeah. but if you want to watch it for free, there's maybe Hoopla. A way to do all that. you got to do for Hoopla is just prove that you're you have a library card. You enter that libraries. That's where you used to go to get books. Live I don't know if people are. <laughs> like, okay, gotcha. So yeah, but uh, Hoopla is a service that you can watch it for okay. free. So. Awesome, that's great. I, thank you for the recommendation. I'm not aware of that at all. So. Um, okay, my film, and I'm almost positive I have not recommended this. Okay. But it's a film I got to check in with at the uh, River Run Film Festival back in April this year. And uh, it was one that I was hoping have a chance to bring it locally or show it locally and just hasn't really worked out. But it's a film called Custody. Okay. Uh, it's a 2017 film. It is, I believe, a French film. I may be wrong on that. Apologize if I am. Uh, directed by Xavier Legrand, and it stars Dennis Miniche. That main name probably will mean nothing to you, but let me just tell you this. Uh, the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, Yes, the man that owns the farmhouse that uh, oh. is visited, that is him. That, okay. is, that is Dennis All Miniche. All tying it back to Tarantino. Yep, exactly. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite scenes in cinema, that opening scene from Inglorious Bastards, it's a good and one. partly because this guy's so good in that yeah. part. Um, and he's really good in this too. Okay. So this is a film uh, in the midst of a divorce. Uh, Miriam decides to ask for exclusive custody to her son in order to protect him from a father that she's accusing of violence. And the judge in charge of the file grants a shared custody to the father whom it considers abused, uh, taken as a hostage between his parents. The, uh, Julian will do everything possible to prevent the worst from happening. This is a domestic drama. Um, that turns very, very intense hmm. and scary. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll say honestly, I'm watching it in the theater during the film festival. That last, the last twenty minutes of this film, extremely tense, wow, and harrowing to watch. Um, but I will say the film, very good at dealing with a very volatile situation regarding custody, uh, where. You think you know if someone is really doing some bad things with the child, but you never quite know for sure, and you're not quite sure exactly whose side you should be on, if you should even be on a side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a good film, a well made film, tough to watch, and again, the last twenty minutes are very very. Uh, uh, I hate saying thrilling because it makes it sound like it's an enjoyable thriller. It's not. It's sure. just a very intense film. And uh, I I really, really liked it. Okay. Um, so I looked it up, and it does come out on Amazon and iTunes, I believe, at the end of October. So at the time of recording this, we're still a few weeks away. But hopefully by the people listening to this, you get a chance and keep it on your watch list. It's Custody, uh, directed by Xavier Legrand. Uh, and yeah, I definitely think it's a really, really well-made film. So, okay. yeah, sounds interesting. So both of us kind of bring in some ones up that probably people have not heard of. So, um, which is, which is good. That's what recommendations are always good for. So that's been our show for today. We talked about black Klansmen. We talked about first reformed, both with high, high marks from both of us in both films. Uh, we hit some movie news items. We talked about James Bond director choices, Top Gun 2 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood casting choices. 
And then we capped off our reviews and our recommendations with the film The Endless and my film Custody, French film from this past year. So, Chris, people may have thoughts. Maybe they'd like to share with us their impression of the ending of First Reformed. <laughs> uh, maybe they'd like to come up with alternative names for the Top Gun sequel. Where should they send any of these thoughts and ideas to if they want to talk to us? If you think you have a better title than Top Gun Maverick or Top Gun Goosed, then you can send <laughs> that to info at the TV. Just mention Alpha Candle Films in the subject line and they'll get it to us and we'll try to respond on the air or, you know, maybe we'll just send you an email. But either way, that's where you can give us some feedback. Alan and I also have accounts on Letterboxd where we try to like generate the movies that we see. We'll give them star ratings or write quick reviews, but that's another way you can kind of keep up with what we're showing. Usually at this point in the show, we would also mention the festival and we did already, but we'll just mention it again. Hey, we're having a festival. Why don't you come join us? Yeah. You know. Be a lot of fun. We're really excited about the festival. Of course, we'll be doing a little bit of a recap probably in our podcast afterwards. True. Talking about some of the films that were shown and who the winners were. Because uh, we have six awards we're giving out this year, That's right? true. Typically, we have four awards, but this year we're doing six. Yeah, so. it's going to be a, a fun weekend. All right. And you have been listening to the show on TheMesh.TV, which is a podcast network we belong to. And all of our shows are free and available for download or streaming. We do recommend if you like the show, uh, hit the little subscribe button. If you go to TheMesh.TV, and that website is T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV, find Foot Candle Films on the show list. And there's a button there to subscribe to it. You can subscribe through Stitcher Radio, through Apple iTunes Podcast Store, uh, Google Play. I know you can find us there as well. Uh, TuneIn Radio, I believe, we're listed on. A lot of different places. Anywhere where podcasts are found, you'll be able to find our show. And we do encourage you to subscribe. So that way you make sure you get every episode going forward and not have to worry about tracking it down whenever we put a new one up online. If you're happening to subscribe and you feel like paying it forward because – it's free to subscribe, so you're not paying for all this movie knowledge we're giving you. You can uh, help us out by, if you're on iTunes, for example, give us a star rating, write a recommendation. That helps us reach more listeners. So, Chris, if, if Top Gun, if it did become Top Gun Goosed, which I'm, I'm warming up to that idea, <laughs> as long as Goosed has an exclamation point at the end. So it has to be Top Gun Goosed. <laughs> you know, just, yep. Yep. Almost like Mother, you know. <laughs> exactly. Goosed. That, that would work for me. I think that would put a whole different spin on the film. Absolutely. All right. Well, that has been Foot Candle Films. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Hope you found some good film knowledge and recommendations to boot. And we'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.